Uh, with that, turn with me to Psalm chapter 30. Uh, open your Bibles if you can. And we will read these 12 verses. As we do every now and then, why don't you stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm not going to read it from the New King James, which I normally do, but you'll, you'll have no problem uh, following along. But uh, just to, uh, just in reference, this passage is a really powerful uh, statement of what God is worthy of and what He did in the life of David and, and what I hope He'll do uh, for us. I'm going to read it from the, um, every now and then I'll read from the complete Jewish Bible. Uh, this is, uh, it's not in Hebrew, but, uh, but it does refer to uh, the Lord uh, in a Hebrew, um, from the Hebrew language and then other connotations. So I'll read it from the Hebrew, uh, from the Jewish Bible, and you can read along whatever version you're reading from. Uh, it says, as the title of Psalm, a song for the dedication of the house by David. I will exalt you, Adonai, because you drew me up. You didn't let my enemies rejoice over me. Adonai, my God, I cried out to you, and you provided healing for me. Adonai, you lifted me up from Sheol, and you kept me alive when I was sinking into a pit. Sing praises to Adonai, you faithful of his, and give thanks on recalling his holiness. For his anger is momentary, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Tears may linger for the night, but with dawn comes cries of joy. Once I was prosperous and used to say nothing could ever shake me. When you showed me favor, Adonai, I was firm as a mighty mountain, but when you hid your face, I was struck with terror. I called to you, Adonai, and to Adonai I pleaded for mercy. What advantage is there in my death and my going down to the pit? Can the dust praise you? Can it proclaim your truth? Hear me, Adonai, and show, fa show me your favor. Adonai, be my helper. You turned my mourning into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my well-being can praise you and not be silent. Adonai, my God, I will thank you forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We look forward to thanking you forever. And Lord, you are our helper. You are our deliverer. You are our savior. You are worthy of praise. And Lord, we just lift up this prayer to you. We've already praised you in song. And Lord, we look forward to you teaching us, instructing us, guiding us, and Lord, leading us to a place where our prayer and praise takes deeper root, for you have not changed, but you do want us to change. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll say also, I, I mentioned the college interns, but uh, isn't it great? Jackson's in his mid-20s giving us hymns every time he uh, comes here, so uh, maybe, just maybe God do a great new work in the 20-something, not just here, but around the country. We need a younger generation to turn back to the Lord. We showed the video of, of what God did in the early, uh, early 70s with the Jesus movement, all these hippies coming to the Lord. And so we could, we could definitely use uh, another uh, outpouring of that. But back to our text tonight, um, yet another short but powerful and beautiful psalm, only 12 verses. Uh, we just covered Psalm 23, which is only six verses. Uh, but this is also written, once again, by David. And this title, a psalm or a song, 
At the dedication of the house, it says, uh, the, most of your Bibles probably have a little title at the top, was either at, this was either added as a later reference, so it may not have taken, this might not have been added uh, when David wrote it, but it might have been put in later to reference the temple when Solomon finally built the temple. Perhaps it was at the dedication of the temple, which they added it when they dedicated the temple. Uh, it's possible that this was sung at the dedication of the temple, just remembering how God had delivered David. And it was David's heart to build the temple, but he didn't get to build the temple. So perhaps they sung this uh, in honor of the fact that, uh, hey, this finally came to fruition, something David longed for. Or this is speaking of the temporary house, which was actually a tent, a tabernacle that David erected for the Ark of the Covenant there on Mount Zion before the temple was built. Or this may actually have been describing David's literal house, his house. So when you get to heaven, you'll find out which of all those options it's referring, because we don't know conclusively what it was. But the pervasive theme here in Psalm chapter 30 is that praise and thanksgiving are something that God is infinitely worthy of. And there's this theme of praise and thanksgiving specifically in David's deliverance from the dark shadow of death. We just looked at Psalm 23 where he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And there's praise throughout this 30th chapter from being rescued by God. And out of being rescued from death, there's a renewed and expanded gratitude and trust towards God that results, results in a deeper confidence and appreciation for praising and praying to God in all situations, not just in crisis, but in all situations. By the way, have you ever, you've heard uh, people that, uh, sadly, I've heard of people that have been in the hospital, they were near death, they were automobile accident or something, they, God, if you get me out of this, I will serve you the rest of my life. And sadly, we've all seen these stories where people did get out of it, and they did not serve God even a week. And they went right back. Man, I know people that have gone back, I mean, and became more worldly within a month than they were before that. But if you really do know the Lord, that's not what will happen. Amen? If you really know the Lord, that is not what will happen. And that's what we're focused on this evening. David receives this reprieve, this second lease on life. And it changes even a man who already knew the Lord in a very intimate way. Specifically for us, though, how do we, looking at what we can learn from David, how do we grow in confidence, in the confidence that we have in the Lord? Not in ourself, but how do we grow in confidence in the Lord in, in any season? Any season, no matter what season you may be going, some of you watching online, whatever season you may be going through, can we still pray and can we still praise God in those seasons? Understand to know that we should worship God because we see it commanded in his word is one thing. To know that we should, but to truly believe that he's worthy of our worship and our praise 
and our prayers, and he certainly is, well, that transforms our worship. You know see what I'm saying? It's one thing to know we should do it. It's another thing to believe it and to know that we should pray. That's also commanded by the Lord and his word. It's a good thing to know that we should pray. However, to pray and truly believe that God is hearing our prayers, to truly believe that he cares, to truly believe that he loves us, and that ultimately he will do what glorifies his name and what's best for us. By the way, we don't always like what's best for us, at least at the outset, right? God, is this really what's best for me? Because this doesn't feel best. This doesn't feel bestest at all. Well, that's actually faith. The faith to believe that God knows what he's doing, what he's allowed. And faith exercised in worship and prayer, it nourishes our soul. And it's spiritual hydration to the very worship and prayer that we need and that we know God has ordained. We know we need it, and we know he's ordained it. Of course, the, the fact that he's ordained it is why we need it. If you're taking notes, you see the title this evening, The Strong Confidence in Prayer and Praise to God. Because you can praise a lot of things in this world. People do praise a lot of things in this world. People praise a lot of people in this world. That's not the praise that will bring the confidence that we need. Uh, you can pray to other gods, but they, they can't actually hear to pray and praise God. Bring strong confidence. Uh, look at, let's look at verse 1. These uh, few opening words, I will extol you, O Lord. We'll stop right there for just a second. There's a comma after Lord in the Hebrew Bible. It's Adonai. I will exalt you, Adonai, as I read from the Hebrew Bible, or the Jewish Bible there. But these words, these first few words, I will extol you, O Lord, they need to be emblazoned on our hearts and on our minds. I will exalt you. And notice the simple opposite. I want to draw your attention to the simple opposite of that. The simple op opposite is the sad state of our nation and millions upon millions of people who have heard the truth. The sad opposite is, I won't exalt you, O Lord. That's the opposite. I will not exalt you. I will not extol you. So we have a choice. David says, I will exalt you. Because you can say, I won't. God will give you that free will choice. But the Hebrew word is a word called room. It sounds almost exactly like our word for this room we're in or the sanctuary. But it means to lift up, to be lofty, to be high, to set on high. God is all of those things. But this is, a, is, the, is the willful posture of praising him for his high and lofty position of holiness. But the next words, or the next word, singular word, the next word, um, in my Bible it's for, and the Jewish Bible I just read, it's because, the very next word, I will extol the Lord for or because, whatever it is in your translation. 
The for the because isn't necessary for God to be worthy of praise and exaltation. Make sense? It's not necessary for God to be worthy of praise for a because or a for to be there. But because we're frail human beings and we're just like David, we're made of dust, we can, we can really relate to the word because. Right? We can relate to because God did this or because God did that. And the there or the because, it's there because he's saying, he goes on, for you have lifted me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. David is saying, because of the fact that David felt at this point he had one foot in the grave. One foot in the grave. And those that hated him were ready to dance on his grave. Certainly the demonic realm that hated David. David had defeated Satan many times in many different ways. The demonic realm wanted to dance on his grave. But he also had human enemies that wanted to dance on his grave. But let's look at verse 2. O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. David's God, the only God that is God, is David's personal God. Oh Lord, my God. We talk about this a lot with the Psalms. My God. You, you have a personal relationship with God. But David, while facing death, he cried out to God. And the Lord heard him, and the Lord healed him. Not just kept him alive. You know, you can keep someone alive and they still are a wreck physically, right? God didn't just keep him alive. You can keep someone alive and they are, they, they kind of wish they were dead if you feel bad enough. You ever feel bad enough? You're like, I don't know how much longer I can take this. God didn't just keep him alive. He healed him. And he says in verse 3, Oh Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive so that I should not go down to the pit. David expressed that his healing was not a moment too soon. Not a moment too soon. David felt like his soul was slipping into the grave. Not everybody gets to this point. Paul got to this point once. We see it in the New Testament. He said we despaired even unto death. Thought for sure. Paul was you know, we believe stoned possibly to death once, shipwrecked, maybe thrown to a, a wild lion once. At any rate, David felt his soul was slipping. Now, David was already saved. If David would have died, he would have been, to be absent with the body, he'd have been present with the Lord. Amen? It wasn't like David was, he's not talking about the pit of hell, he's just talking about a grave. You know, when you dig a grave, you dig it, there's a pit, even though they used tombs for the most part. But David, he was saved. He would have went home to be with the Lord. But he 
still wanted to live. He still wanted to be with family. He still wanted to see the grandchildren. He still wanted to worship with those that he loved. Maybe he still thought he would at least see the temple start to be built. Something. There's, there's things that many of us want to see before we go home to be with the Lord. They're not wrong. God puts those things, many of them, on our hearts. And God hears his prayer. And he was healed just as much as Lazarus was healed when he was brought out of the grave. David is one foot in the grave. Lazarus was all the way in the grave. But David is healed just as much. Remember when Lazarus came out, he was completely healed. He was back. He was healthier. Lazarus would have been healthier after death than most any of us feel right now. Right? Everything was healed. Which would be awesome. Many scholars believe, we don't know for sure, but many scholars believe that David in this point of his life was facing a death sentence or a disease, likely a disease, that was similar to what King Hezekiah was told by the prophet. Where King Hezekiah gets a message that God's, he actually gets a sentence from God where God says, set your house in order, you are going to die. That's not the best message you could ever get from the Lord, right? And many scholars believe David was under a very similar situation that God had let him know, this is the end for you. By the way, we as believers, if you're born again and you know that you have been saved, we have a reason to praise God right now because we're saved. Because if we're saved, we have already been raised to newness of life. Kind of we, see, we kind of see a picture here that can point to the New Testament. We've already been raised out of the darkness, out of the deadness, to eternal life, due to what? The malady and disease of sin. Because sin is the greatest disease in this world. That you can tell just watching the news, right? Sin is by far the greatest disease. Look at all the people that die needlessly because of sin. Jesus told the man, remember they lowered him down into the house. He tells the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. But he also he said first to him, he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Or he says, take up your bed and walk. But either way, he was saying that if I heal you, the greater thing I'm healing you of is your sin issue more than your take up the bed and walk issue. Because eventually you're going to be back on that deathbed anyway, right? Even Lazarus was going to die. So the greater malady, the, the thing that we can praise God for right now, no matter what you're going through, is that I remember I had a uh, for early, early got saved, and I remember uh, hearing a pastor say, um, he was not talking to me, but I remember he was talking to someone else and saying, guy was saying, I've got this going on, this guy. I, guys, pastor stopped and said, look, are you saved? Yes. That overrides everything else. And people don't want to hear that sometimes, but you have to let the Holy Spirit help you receive that, that it really is. You have been permanently healed of the greatest issue. We're going to walk the man took up his bed and walked. We're going to walk into heaven because of salvation. No matter what happens to our bodies, 
on this earth because of the miracle of salvation. We looked at this a few chapters back in John chapter 11 where Jesus says to Lazarus' sister, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We have the teachings of Jesus expressly. Now David did see the Lord Christ. We know he saw Jesus. We know he saw him seated on his throne. We know he saw him probably in Psalm chapter 22 and other places. But we have the, the literal words of Jesus saying that if you have been born again, you're never going to die. Your soul will never die. Your soul might slip into eternity, but it go right into the presence of the Lord. So that's something we can rejoice in no matter what. So spiritually and from an eternal perspective, we have a prayer and a praise that's based on us already being raised. That makes sense? We have a prayer and a praise that we can pray because you know, Satan's trying to discourage you in some areas. Say, hold on, time out. I'm already raised to newness of life. Sometimes you've got to go all the way to the end to better understand the current. But God still gave David, and praise God he's done many temporal things for us too. God still gave David something unexpected in this life-saving situation. David no doubt had, uh, when you think about David, specifically compared to maybe your life, um, many of us have probably had a couple of near-death experiences that we can remember. I, I had one again. I know I, if I'd have gotten hit a fraction of a second sooner by this one vehicle, I would not be here today. And it was actually just about a year before I got saved. God spared my life. We've all had things that we can look back and say, if that would have happened differently, I'm not here today. There's no doubt about it. Or some of you might have even had something in the hospital where I know uh, even uh, before I had my neck fusion, my doctor told Sarah, after he came out of the surgery, he comes out with a piece of my bone fragment. He said, if he had not come in here when he did, he very well could have been paralyzed from the neck down. Or it could have been worse. Anything could have happened. He goes, I'm telling you, he doesn't know how close. But God protects us. We all have God protects us many times that we didn't even know about. We get that. But if you look at the life of David, no doubt David had many, many near-death experiences. Some that we can see in Scripture, not even counting things like Goliath. No, everyone else was petrified of him. But David, just the fact that he was a man of war, he had fought many battles. You can imagine how many arrows went whizzing by his temples or right, you know, swords that were swung near his heart. But whatever was threatening his life here, because we don't really know, there's not a lot said in the scriptures about it. David tells us whatever it was, it struck terror in him. Ah, strange. Whatever was threatening his life here, it shook him to the core. It really did. Shook him to the core. He said it felt like he was going down to Sheol. I mean, deeply depressed and terrified at the same time. But like Job, he didn't curse God in all this. He didn't curse God. He cried out to God. Isn't that the right answer? He did not curse God. He cried out to God. I know people sometimes say, well, I've cried out to him 50 times. You're going to have to cry out number 51. What about 52? Yeah. 53? Yes. 54? Yes. Keep counting. 
He didn't give up. He gave praise in deep pain. That's what he did. And I believe to the probable shock and joyful surprise of David, because David had seen a lot of answer prayer, but he did not think this one was going to get answered. I don't believe. To the probable shock of David, God answers his prayer just before metaphoric midnight. Just before that clock strikes 12, if you will. And God restores his life and restores his health. This happened to Fanny Crosby, by the way. She you know, wrote all those wonderful hymns. She thought for sure she was at death's door. And she, she began to write all of her hymns were about her dying and going to be the Lord. And all of a sudden, God healed and restored her. She goes on and writes thousands more. This was in her 60s, I want to say. It was, some, it was pretty late. It could have even been 70s. But then she lived into her 90s. So other people have, have experienced this. Instead of, instead of it, David's probably as shocked as anyone because he's praying it but not really believing it. He's thinking he's going to slip on into death. But please, God, if, if you're hearing just this thread, this fishing line of a prayer, if you will, and God restores him, restores his life, restores his health, and restores his place as the king of Israel. Well, let's be clear. You and I, when we pray, <laughs> Jesus said, if a mustard seed can move a mountain, most of our prayers are a lot smaller than a mustard seed. Amen? Whatever that means in the spiritual realm, I understand he's not, it's not specifically, because you can't really measure the size of a prayer. But God can. We can't. At some level, God is saying, your faith is probably infantile small at all times. But sometimes, we... See, answer prayer, and we're not blown away. We're like, oh, that's awesome. Because it's usually not that, it's not a huge thing. Right? I hope I get the white car instead of the red car. That, that's not a big deal. Right? Those aren't the ones that change your world. But every now and then, we're totally shocked that God answers what we prayed. Amen? Totally shocked. David was more than shocked. He, by the end of this chapter, he wants to dance. In Acts chapter 12, the apostle Peter was thrown into prison. You guys probably know this story. He's thrown into prison. The church begins to pray. And what appears to be the very night before Peter's execution, God answers the prayer. The church is crying out to God, praying to God, praying constantly perhaps for days, nonstop prayer, and then God answers the prayer, but nobody believes that God answered the prayer. I put it up on the screen. It's in Acts chapter 12. You don't have to turn there, but you want to mark it down, look at it. And I'm just, I just took a compilation of the verses and kind of collapsed a few, so let me read it as it happened. Peter was therefore kept in prison. He was going to be executed the next day, but I put it in all caps there. Constant prayer was offered to him, offered to God for him by the church. This church was a praying church. Constant prayer. They were round the clock praying. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, being Peter, and a light shone in the prison. He struck Peter by the side, said, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. 
And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. Thanks a lot, says Peter. Uh, she runs and announced that Peter stood before the gate, but they told her the, the these are the apostles, the spiritual leaders, the spiritual giants of the time. You are beside yourself. And she kept insisting that it was so that they said, it is an angel. God does not answer the prayers we're praying. We just pray them. <laughs> but we, we sometimes feel the same way, right? We're praying them. We know God can do it. We just don't think he will do it. These are saints that love God. These are saints that love Peter. And yet they were thinking, there's no way he's out. There's no way. It's impossible. But like Peter, David was facing an imminent death. And God in a moment flips the script. He hears the cries and prayers of David. In this case, Peter was asleep. Thankfully, other people were praying on Peter's behalf. But uh, David was crying out on his own behalf. And I'm sure other people were praying for David as well. But God heard David's prayers and he delivered. By the way, not always, but very often, we are going to have to go through something that nearly breaks us to see a breakthrough. I hate to forewarn everybody. It's not always the case, but if you live long enough in Christian life, you will more than likely go through something that nearly breaks you to see a breakthrough. It's God tests his saints in ways that we would never do, but he knows what the limits are. God may have you go through something and deliver you from something that resets and relevels your prayer and your praise and your worship resets it and relevels it to a new level of joyful worship a whole new level and a new level of confidence that comes with it confidence not in yourself but confidence in the Lord and we see David's response to this healing he has a renewed and amplified desire to praise God. Do you want a new and amplified desire to praise God? Like, like really from God, not, not manufactured by yourself, which you, that doesn't go that far, by the way. Self-manufactured doesn't, it doesn't have any staying power. But I would hope that we would want that amplified desire. But God does that. And, and, uh, and then David, once he has this amplified confidence and joy in the Lord over what God has done for him, going from one foot in the grave, almost his entire body in the grave, to out of the grave, and not just uh, out, but fully healed, David exhorts those David's speaking to all saints of all time, just like the apostles speaking to all of us, speaking to all the saints of all time. Those that believe in the Lord, he's telling all of them, all of us here tonight, all of you watching online, to lift our voices and praise and thanksgiving now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Now. We have a worship night next uh, 
Wednesday night, now to worship. Praying before you see that breakthrough, before you see a deliverance, but to lift our voices and to be assured that God will be faithful even in the darkest of moments. Look at verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, you his saints, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Goes on in verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Our flesh may want to pout, may want to pass out, may want to plop down and totally give up. But David is saying, first by faith, then by experience. And by the way, that, remember going all the way up when he was a young man, he was convinced he could beat Goliath because he had be, beaten a bear and a lion. He had an experience of God's, but sometimes you have those things and you still forget the power of God. But he knew by faith and experience, no, it was to look up with thanksgiving, he's saying here in these verses 4, 5, and 6, to look up with thanksgiving because the name of God is holy. That doesn't seem like a good answer to people that don't know God, but if you know God, I can't explain it to you. The Holy Spirit says it's more than enough because he's holy, because he's righteous. But also, this pre-breakthrough thanksgiving that we're all called to do, say, look, but, but I, I'm still praying, right? I'm still crying out right now. I'm still waiting for a breakthrough. Well, you have to pray and give thanks now because what God's done for other people is a witness and a testimony for us now. Amen? Like, I can think about David's situation. I know it's a couple thousand years back, but I can think about it as if he was standing here right now testifying, because the Word of God is living now. God is the God of the living. The moment that we're in. We can pray these th prayers and praise God and give Him thanks because we know He allows those He loves. We know it. We, we, we saw this in Psalm 23 as well. We know that He allows those He loved to endure dark valleys. He puts us through obstacle courses that we would never choose. But David's here to say, tears of pain will become tears of joy if you keep praying and praising God. Will, not might, will become tears of joy. Those are good tears, right? Jeremiah 31, 13 expresses the same thing. Jeremiah went through some horrible straits as a prophet. One time put in a mire of human sewage. For I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. But a lot of times, God allows us to go through deep mourning places before we see those, not M-O-U-R, but M-O-R-E. 
N-I-N-G, the morning phrases. The morning phases coming to morning praises. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, also Jeremiah, this I recall to mind, uh, therefore I have hope, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, many times we feel like we would be, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. You and I, we don't have any great faithfulness, but God does. Now, coming to God through God's merciful deliverance, and it's always through God's mercy that we're delivered from anything, but coming through all this, David reflects that the goodness that God has placed on his life in the past actually led him to put himself in a bad place. I remember hearing a Romanian pastor one time talk about the fact that 90% of the people he saw that just received an abundance of prosperity fell away, but 90% that he saw receive persecution pressed in closer to the Lord. So the more wealth and prosperity, it was more of a snare to people falling away than actually losing everything. Those people drew nearer to the Lord. And David kind of reflects on what had happened in his own life. He says in verse 6, Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. This does not sound like David often He wasn't initially, David was not initially in a dark valley. No, initially before he became whatever it was that nearly killed him, whatever disease it was, David fell to the distraction of prosperity, at least for a time. Not to the extent his son Solomon did, which ended up wrecking the whole country and dividing the nation into two kingdoms. Although Solomon came back to his senses later in life, that's why we had the book of Ecclesiastes, it, we still, Israel still suffered greatly for Solomon also, finding that he was looking for pleasure and prosperity. But David uh, fell at least for a period of time to a distraction. We know he had another time a distraction, which could have been in the same period of time with Bathsheba, where he stopped going out to war and decided to sit back and enjoy the spoils of the kingdom that God had given him. Now David had fought prior battles, but he had come to a place of his own speaking. He, he's saying his own testimony, which he's not proud of necessarily at all, but he's saying, in my prosperity, I even said, I can't even be moved. I'm king of the area and nothing can stop the kingdom that I now have. He had come to the place where he loved the comforts that he had. He had confidence in his possessions. He had confidence in his health. He had confidence in his army. He had confidence in his provisions. And David's a man after God's own heart, but he, at least for a short period of time, became apathetic, 
self-confident, self-reliant, and even lifted up with some pride, my mountain shall not be moved. That's a warning to everybody, isn't it? Everyone. This is so many American believers today. Let me, let me read that again. Confident in possessions, health, army, provisions, my career, my 401k, my education, the housing market has made our house worth twice as much as it was. Of course, you can't buy one if you sell it, but that's a different problem. Right? To so many American believers today that are confident in stuff and in a country they didn't create and freedoms they just inherited and they think like they made the whole thing. Like they made themselves. My mountain shall not be moved. <laughs> uh, God says, really? Your mountain? Mount Zion, your mountain? Going back to that body of believers in Acts chapter 12. Think back to that body of believers in Acts chapter 12. They may have wavered when the answer to prayer came saying there's no way God answered that. You can fault them on, well, I would have believed in a minute. I don't think we would, but nevertheless. They did not waver though in their urgency, did they? They did not waver in urgency. No, they gave constant prayer because they were fully dependent on God. They knew there was no way for Peter to be even remotely set free unless it was God. So they were not dependent on, they gave, con there was an urgency to that church to pray. It said the church, it didn't say one or two people, it said the church. It's a plurality it's a multiple number of people were all simultaneously convinced that they must pray and they must press into prayer and it had to be constant prayer. They were even, we know, they were even gathered together. You know, Christians that stand before the Lord someday and say, well, I just thought that all I had to do was pray in my prayer closet. Jesus did preach about the prayer closet. He never said prayer closet and nothing else. He said prayer closet plus Gathering to pray and prayer closet are both important. That'd be like saying, well, I thought I was just supposed to practice, not actually play in the game. No, both. Not one or the other. And so that early church, they were even gathered together. When the knock came, they were gathered in prayer. God honored it too, didn't he? On Peter's behalf, but also on their behalf. They were gathered to pray. The majority of the church in Sardis and Laodicea, when Jesus writes to those two churches, those two are right here in verse 6. They didn't believe their mountain could be moved. They had money. Laodicea said, we got, we got gold. Sardis said, we got servants to spare. We have a name, everyone. And they, had, they were dead as a doornail. There was no power. They didn't even power prayer. They didn't care about stuff like prayer or praising God. They had money. They had position they were friends with the mayor. Why would we need prayer? When you're friends with the mayor, why do you need prayer? But the early church wasn't friends with the, the leaders. They were despised by the leaders, so they needed God to intervene. They didn't have any attorney-client relations and all that kind of stuff. 
they had a collective Laodicea and Sardis, we shall not be moved. Collectively. David had it just for a moment, and, and God used this to show that any, even a healthy person, a healthy believer, a healthy church, could fall into prosperity real fast. And sad that many people personally won't be moved out of their own condition. But um, not only will they not be moved from their own position, they won't be moved on behalf of other people too. I mean, that, that church was not even... It, you could almost say, well, Peter, that is his problem. But they didn't feel that way. They felt Peter was their collective. They all loved him enough to intercede and pray. The reason prayer meetings are so lightly attended, for the most part in America, and they really are, you can talk to pastor after any denomination, just, they, are, they are one of the most lightly attended. Evangelism, Mark, the two by two, that'll be, uh, that's also very lightly attended in America, both of them. But, um, but the reason why prayer meetings are so lightly attended, for the most part, in American churches is a misunderstanding that, of what prayer is about anyway. Well, I just, I just, I'm supposed to pray by myself. No, you're certainly supposed to pray by yourself, but not only by yourself, where two or three are gathered, Jesus said. Gathered means gathered. So, and we said, actually, the Holy Spirit Pentecost didn't fall until the church had gathered to pray. As a matter of fact, they had to pray for days, uh, but we don't even do those kind of things. But the reason why they're so lightly attended in our nation, and not just here, but other parts of the world, is self-reliance and self-love. Self-reliance and self-love, for the most part. I'm not talking about people that have to work that day. or I'm talking about when the opportunity is there. The more God's revealed to you and the more he has delivered you from things, you come to depend on him more and praise him more and actually press into prayer more, not less. Like David after this, now that I got my life back, I don't need to pray or praise anymore. That's not how David, that, that's, that's the person that really wasn't saved, that gets out of a jam and goes right back. But David didn't get out of a jam. He got closer to the Lord. Big, big difference. But it's not just that. You don't only care about, you know, David didn't just care about his urgent situation. We care about the urgent situation of other people. Hence, the church was praying for Peter. I would... Personally, if I could afford it, I would pay people to come and pray for the Middle East this Saturday or any other Saturday. I would pay them if I had the money to do it. I literally would. But even if I did that, it would be pointless because it would be the wrong motivation for them. So you just rely on, look, God, open their eyes and open their ears that these are the things you actually care about. They're, they're the least cared about by the church and yet the most cared about by the Spirit. Kind of a sad situation. Um, or even just our, our first Wednesday prayer in July. We're going to have prayer and fasting that it's going to be July 6th. We can eat a lot of burgers on the 4th. Let's pray and fast on the 6th. I don't know if it's right in the midpoint of our, our year and our country needs a lot of prayer and fasting. We need it. We have people in the church that need it. And by the way, I will rejoice when other people's prayers are answered as much as in my own. How about you? I don't like, well, you know, that's not, I didn't get my prayer answered, so I'm not, I can't really, no, no, we rejoice with those who rejoice. But the Lord didn't allow David to stay in his prosperous place and his precarious state, which he didn't see, of self-reliance. Because if the Lord loves us, then he definitely does love us. 
and we're truly saved, he will bring us to a place where we get a switch from the Lord, as they say in the old days, and we must cry out to God, right? He will get the attention of those he loves. If he does not know you, you can go on and live any way you want, at least until it's your time to pass. Deuteronomy 8.3, and in Hebrews, I could put dozens and dozens and dozens of verses that speak to this, but I'll just put two. And I just wanted to emphasize the words in, Hebrew, in Deuteronomy 8.3. So the Lord humbled you. You ever been humbled by the Lord? I mean, you know definitively it was the Lord. You, not somebody else. You know God humbled you and you knew you needed it. Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chases and scourges every son he receives. You've been chastened by the Lord and you know it was the Lord. You even knew why sometimes. Sometimes it's just not even a sin of commission, but omission. Just something you, God, I want you to do this. No, I'm not going to do it. All right, I, 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 can't pull, I can't fit it in. Whatever it is. By the way, even if we're not coasting along, as David was just in verse 6, uh, we still, even when we're not coasting, let's say you're, you're coming to church and you're, you're, you're reading your Bible and everything, there's also still going to be areas of self-reliance and self-focus that we're not aware of that God will reveal to us. I have found this many, I got saved in 1995. He has taken me, cha- like, the chapters in my personal book, where just when I thought, I thought I was done with all self-reliance, God shows me another area where, no, this is glaring now. Why wasn't it glaring before? Because you weren't ready for all this change at once. And David's no different. I mean, God would take him through seasons, even allowed him to kind of do what he did just for a short period of time to show him that you can never stop relying on me, David, ever. The Lord's humbled me many, many times in the last 15 years. The whole time, but really ever since I took over pastoring, it's just been one thing after another. Uh, verse 7, the Lord, uh, Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. Uh, through the humbling and, and through the chastening and through the correcting, and then ultimately through this blessed deliverance, in David's case, Chastened, yes. Humbled, yes. But delivered out of all that, he was made strong in the Lord. In the Lord, not in himself. Before, you, my mouth's strong. Uh, our desperate need for him is illuminated by us falling and saying, Lord, please help me. To be clear, I believe even when David was prosperous, Uh, He was still worshiping and praying. I believe he was still trying to serve God in some pretty consistent fashion because that, you know, that was consistent with David's life when he suddenly fell ill. But something had changed from his previous just dependence on God to where he wasn't so dependent on the Lord after all. And then in verse 8, David repeats back from verse 2. He repeats what he says in verse 2. He repeats here, I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. So when David gets to this place where he's crying out to the Lord, he understands at this point, going back to verse, he understands he had drifted. He's not making excuses for it. 
God doesn't want our excuses. He wants our confession. He, Lord, I've drifted. It's my fault. It's not your fault. And yet, in his prayer of desperation and still having that mustard seed of faith, uh, he doesn't disavow God for what God has brought into his life, which is nearly his death, but he appeals to the mercy of God. We don't ever ask God for justice, amen? You do not have people that, I want justice. I'm like, yo, you do not want justice. Mercy. Moses, come to the mercy seat, not the justice seat. Mercy seat. It's always the mercy of the Lord. It's always, he appeals to the mercy of God. Verse 10, hear, O Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. Who else could help David? No one else. No one else could help Peter. No one else could help David. No one else could help Paul. And it's God that put David on his back to look up to God and to cry out to God. God put David on his back, who he loved. David was a man after God's own heart, but he put him on his back. He didn't look, David then at that point no longer looked to his resources. He did not look to all the possessions. He didn't look to the army. Proverbs uh, 21, 31, the horse is prepared for battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. David, let me put it this way. You see, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put David back together again. David knew he was a wreck and God had wrecked him because he was relying on his pride. Instead of his confidence being on God, he had had his confidence momentarily, albeit, on himself. But God said, even in that... By the way, the more mature you are, the more responsible you are. Remember Moses smacks the rock one time? No promised land. Right? You would think, well, after all these years of Moses serving, no, the closer you get to God, the more God holds accountable. So that's why, you know, I think that, again, the pastorate should be held. I mean, some of the things that we see these pastors doing around the country, I'm like, they should have been fired years ago. You know? God holds a higher standard, not a lower standard. Not that anyone should be perfect. But again, and you as parents, God's going to hold you a higher standard. You have more maturity. You shouldn't be doing dumb things that your 16-year-old does, right? Does that make sense? And so David knew better, and God said, I knew you know better. And so God put him on his back. But David cried out for mercy, and God delivers him. And David realized, I, all right, it's not my armies. It's not the, the warehouses. It's none of that stuff. None of the, all the physicians in, in Israel cannot heal me. Don't you wish our leaders would get this? But he wants us to get it. You see, David knew it. He knew that nobody else could put him back together again. But God used all this for David's renewal. Let's wrap it up with verses 11 and 12. You have turned to David's. And in all of this, I didn't deserve to be delivered, but boy, was I grateful for it. You have turned for me my mourning. And I'm sure he had some mourning for his relying on his prosperity too. But mainly, he was just afraid of just losing all the things he was hoping to see in the remaining years, years of life. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Aren't you glad God restores us and forgives us of dumb things, of big things, of small things, of in-between things, that God restores us? To the end, verse 12, that my glory may sing 
praise to you and not be silent. I hope you come out next Wednesday and we sing and not be silent. Oh my God, I will give thanks to you forever. What happens here in the uh, David is brought to the end of himself, but his confidence is now magnified. It, David has a testimony. We talked about that many times you have to go through a test to have a testimony. David has a great testimony. that says, I will never go back to trusting in prosperity again. I'm going to count on the Lord. I'm going to pray, pray and praise. And the Lord renews his desire to worship. He even, again, he feels like dancing, praying, praising God. He's not focused on his prosperity, nor is he focused on his vulnerability now. Because, again, we're, we're very fragile. He's not focused on his fragility or on his prosperity. Now he's focused on what? The praiseworthiness of God. And when that happens, he puts a song in our hearts. Amen? But we need to sing before. I mean, well, I'm not... I'm not Depending on prosperity, I'm just kind of in a, a, a rut place, or I'm just kind of in a, I can't even describe a place, or I'm, you know, it doesn't matter. Pray and praise him anyway. Amen? He's always praiseworthy. That's what David was saying. Because he, he knew he was speaking to an audience that not everyone was in his boat there, but some were and some weren't. But he said it doesn't matter either way. Thank him and praise him forever. Let's pray. Father, we do that this evening. Lord, we look to you, and even in this room and those online, we ask for your forgiveness for every area of self-reliance, self-focus, self-love. Lord, give us a heart for others. The Peters that are in prison, they're not Peter now. They are people in North Korea. They're people in Iran. They're people that our brothers and sisters that we're going to spend eternity with. Lord, give us the same intercession, care for them. But Lord, let it start with, we love you first, love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, amplify the praise in our prayers and in our praise. And Lord, we just ask for your help that we would see you high and lifted up. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the evening.